You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Analyzing the multi-generational workplace is an issue that has grabbed our awareness. But why? We've always had more than one generation in the workplace. So why is it now a focus of our attention? Well, let's just look at two obvious trends. First, we're living longer and working longer. In 1935, the year Social Security was signed into law, the average American could expect to live until he or she was 61. Today, life expectancy in America is 79, 18 more years. Second, technology is changing our lives and the rate of that change is increasing. In 1935, working 30 years for an organization would likely make you an expert in how that business operated. Now, having the skills to master new technologies like artificial intelligence, smartphones, and social media likely makes you the valued expert. These trends have made managing the multi-generational workplace more of a challenge now than ever before. There's a lot of literature describing the traits of each generation. Baby boomers, born between 1945 and 1964, are said to be loyal to their organization and most comfortable with email for electronic communication. They live to work. Generation X, born between 1965 and 1979, are identified as being more involved with social causes and less impressed with authority. They change jobs more often. They work to live. Millennials, born between 1980 and 1994, are depicted as being highly tech-savvy, informal, and wanting continuous learning. They're on the verge of being an overwhelming demographic. However, they themselves will eventually be overwhelmed by Generation Z, which is just now coming into its own in the office. Does assigning traits to the different generations help or hurt in managing the workplace? Do we learn from this exercise, or is it just another form of label? What recommendations do we have for managers of a workplace that could have up to four generations working side by side? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm joined today by Zanelle Brown, Executive Court Administrator for the Third Circuit Court in Detroit, Michigan. Welcome, Zanelle. Hey, thank you, Peter. With Zanelle is Alyssa Shannon. Deputy Court Administrator for the Third Circuit Court in Detroit. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Since we're discussing the generations in the workplace, can I describe both of you as baby boomers? Yes, we're actually Exactly. Also, we have Kelly Hutton, Assistant Court Administrator in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Thanks for being a part of our conversation today. And Kelly, you've described yourself as a zenial. Now tell us, what is a zenial? Thanks, Peter. Zennials are a micro-generation between Generation X and Millennials and includes those born in the late 70s and early 80s. We essentially had a childhood without computers or the internet, and we were part of the transition from anything being analog to everything being digital. Finally with us today is Renee Armenta with the Pima County Superior Court in Tucson, Arizona. Thanks for joining us. Renee, now you are on the cusp between being a Millennial and a member of Generation Z, is that right? That's correct. Alyssa, as we manage the multiple generations, we need to avoid stereotyping and unconscious bias. 
Yet it seems almost impossible for most people not to assign traits to the different generations. Is there any way for managers to deal with this tendency? Well, there are ways to avoid stereotyping and unconscious bias. Much of the problem seems to stem from poor communication, I think. Rather than ask a question, we as humans are often quick to formulate opinions or take on opinions of others. I think instead of us assuming all young adults are tech savvy, we should treat each person as an individual and ask what their technology comfort level is or if they have any experience with specific software that is used in a a particular department. I think it's very helpful to treat each person as an individual and not as a generational group attached to assumption. I'm a baby boomer, but I love technology and I love exploring technology. Baby boomers are oftentimes generalized to not being so tech savvy. That's not the case for me. Renee, what do you think? Well, I always believed in the fact that the impossible is always possible. And I do believe that there is a way that management can remedy this tendency. And I think if they take out the age aspect for a moment and analyze the individual by observing their skill set, their knowledge, remaining open-minded about what these individuals are capable of doing, discovering their worth ethic and experiences, I think that going through those types of motions, you're able to see what type of things that this individual can bring to the table, no matter the generation that they come from. Kelly, how much does the culture of the courts affect managing Generation X, Millennials, and Generation Z? For example, some courts are very reluctant to embrace flex hours and telecommuting. What has been your court's experience? I think the courts really do do their best to adapt and manage the various generations, whether that be in the technology realm or like you used in your example, flex hours and telecommuting. I've been very fortunate in my court that, you know, we do a really good job of trying to keep up on technology. Of course, there's always issues because of budget cycles and things like that, but we don't focus as much on the generation of staff members and instead try to look at their learning style Because as was already stated, some baby boomers are really tech savvy and some millennials really aren't that tech savvy. But as far as the flex hours and telecommuting, we haven't explored that, I think, as much as we could. We try right now, you can have flex hours if your position or your job requirements will allow it. But things like clerk of court staff that we still have a front window that somebody needs to be at 8 to 5, we haven't been able to explore changes there because our court hasn't changed how it operates. And I'm not advocating for, you know, having night court or anything like that, but I think in the future that might be something that we see. Zanel, how much do you think court culture affects the generations in the workplace? I was just having a conversation with our HR department this morning, and we were just talking about what people wear to work. (laughs) And we've had the same basic dress code policy for at least a decade now. And so we're going to put it out on the table and see what our managers think are some of the things that we're prohibiting outdated. As far as the flex hours, we had a group last year that was going to try to pilot that. And again, the court traditionally, like Kelly was saying, is open from 8.30 to 5, and you're constantly interacting with customers. But we were challenged with that because a number of the staffing positions were not filled. 
And so it's like, how do you shuffle and juggle all that? So I think with some meaningful analysis, we probably could get to that point. But it's it's just slower moving to that point than I believe our other organizations and businesses. So we're looking at it. We realize that people want those type of things when they're looking for employment, and we're having to adapt. The question is, how quickly can we adapt? Renee, employee engagement is a huge topic right now. Recent Gallup polls have said that 66% of American workers are not engaged. 13% of those are actively disengaged, meaning that they actually hate their jobs. And 21% of millennials have changed their jobs within the last year. That is three times higher than other generations. Is employee engagement an issue in the courts? If it is, what can be done about it? Well, I think that um, there's definitely ways to work around um, these types of stipulations that we're dealing with. I believe that Generation Z and along with millennials are being closely watched because the future lies within our hands as it lied in the previous generation's hands and it will continue to be passed down. Recently, I noticed that we really want to improve a lot of those statistics and in 2020, the Arizona Superior Court, which whom the juvenile court falls under, will roll out a 12-month program, and it's titled the Court Mentoring Program. And it's designed to provide court employees the opportunity to develop and enhance skills and leadership, gain more court knowledge, performance, and to improve retention rate. Along, you know, we want to decrease that job change rate as well. So it's really meant to sustain very strong working relationships. And I think it's a great program to enhance those performances and overcoming working challenges. And the best thing about this is that you can choose your mentor or have your mentor matched. And I believe by doing this program, we may see those percentage rates decrease along in the future within the courts. Alyssa, what's your take on employee engagement? Employee engagement, I think, is an issue in the court systems because we tend to be a lot slower in taking on new initiatives or or changes. We, we oftentimes have to wait for changes in law, if you will. I think that millennials get, and Generation Z, they get bad reputation for how much they move around. But I think what is not considered is that oftentimes these generations, the millennials and later, some Generation X as well, they often have large amounts of educational debt. And that oftentimes helps propel or can propel them to move around. They're, they're seeking more money. And the courts, at least here in Michigan, it's a slow advancement. And a lot of times their finances don't afford for a slow advancement. Studies show that millennials and later have more educational debt than any of the previous generation. Zanel, the Pew Research Center has estimated that this year there are now more millennials than baby boomers. And it's estimated that by 2030, millennials and Generation Z will make up 75% of the workforce. What effect do you think this influx will have on the courts? I see that as having an effect on what the work looks like internally and also the services that the court delivers. So looking at it from the internal prospect, you have younger people who are very comfortable with technology and some of the things that we're doing now that are still paper automated, although courts are moving to paperless or paper on demand environments. Some of those processes will be eliminated. The way that we do training, right now it's usually 
let's find a stationary place and let's all go there in person. I think a lot of that will be video available, webinars, even short webinars. I believe our training manuals, the, the three ring binders that are three inches thick will be obsolete. I believe we'll do meetings differently at that time too. We'll be using the technology. Sometimes the communication won't even need to be in a face-to-face. It will be through a text. <laughs> it will be definitely with email, maybe using Zoom or some other capabilities. I think that that will become more commonplace. I think you'll see there still may be some of the things that we're accustomed to right now, but you'll see a lot more of the things that we as uh, baby boomers who are standing guard saying, no, not yet. We're not for sure if it's safe. It will be tested and trued and say, yeah, this is the way that the courts can do business. Definitely see our policies will be expanding. Um, flex time will not be something that people will be considering. It'll be automatically there. Parental leave will be there. I just see a number of things changing internally the way that the workforce goes about doing the business. And as far as the people who are being served, it's estimated by the census about 20% of the population will be over 65 then. So we will still have some service elements that need to address where that generation is comfortable too. So I think it's going to be a very mixed bag, but I do believe it's going to lend to a lot of technology being introduced, a lot of things being done remotely. And more emphasis, like you say, on people who are working, but are also putting a primary emphasis on what's my life outside of work. Renee, what motivates millennials and Generation Z? Let me read off a list of some traditional inducements organizations have offered. Parental leave, good health care, a good retirement plan, flex hours, telecommuting, a relaxed dress code, higher pay, and socially relevant work. Now, how important are these inducements to millennials and Generation Z? I believe those inducements are extremely important, especially um, the higher pay. I mean, who doesn't want to earn more money for what they're working for, right? But I think that the besides what means those, those main components we seek when we are applying for those jobs, we also seek out that work-life balance. So that way we can continue to be a solid source of strength to both our families and our jobs. Uh, another thing that motivates millennials is feeling like you're being a part of a culture that values its ethics and mission feeling like your talents are being strengthened, that there's respect and fairness being applied, but most importantly, that there's trust, that there's gonna be growth within these positions and that there is communication going on about how we're doing and what we can do to improve certain skill sets. I think we really appreciate that growth mindset. How to manage the different generations in the workplace is a timely topic. We'll delve into it even more after this short break. Hi, this is Jeff Chappell from O'Fallon, Missouri, as a Municipal Court Administrator. My work for the Missouri court system is ever-changing. Being an active member in my state association, I was exposed to NACOM, the National Association for Court Management, and became a member quickly. The connections I've developed with other court professionals through NACOM are invaluable. The NACOM community provides the opportunity to exchange ideas, learn from others' experiences, and hear about innovations trending in our courts today. If you're not a member, consider joining NACOM today. You can do so by clicking the Join Us button on the NACOM website at nacomnet.org. If you are a member or considering becoming a member, please join us at our next conference. The 2020 Mid-Year Conference is just around the corner, February 9th through the 11th in Charlotte, North Carolina. The theme of the conference is Interconnected Courts, Ensuring Justice in Our Communities. 
Registration is open now, and past years have sold out, so log on today at nakemnet.org for more information. I look forward to seeing you in Charlotte. We're back with Zanelle Brown, Alyssa Shannon, Kelly Hutton, and Renee Armenta talking about managing the generations in the workplace. Zanelle, one distinction between the generations I keep reading about is how each generation has a communication style. For example, baby boomers prefer face-to-face and email. Generation X likes texting and Twitter. Millennials are more comfortable with video conferencing. How real are these distinctions? As a baby boomer, I believe that the face-to-face meetings are what makes us able to look at someone, communicate, have the benefit of everybody asking questions, reading the nonverbal cues, and making sure everyone is on the same page. So I do think that there's a definite comfort with the baby boomers as far as doing that. When you get to the other generations, those who like texting and Twitter, I believe that they communicate a lot of the social aspects of their lives that way. They may feel comfortable saying, hey, I need a day off through a text or something like that. But I, too, believe that if it's something of importance, they appreciate the opportunity of having that face-to-face exchange to make sure they understand what's being communicated, how the work should be done. Video conferencing, I believe most of the generations are comfortable with it, although the millennials, you know, grew up with it. I believe there's a comfort level there, and especially in the court system where if you have to go to a a superior court that's 80 miles away, you appreciate having that opportunity to appear by video conferencing instead of having all that time driving and behind the windshield. So I think the distinctions are there as far as comfort levels or what you grew up with, but I don't think that they actually are shackling anybody and saying this is the only way that people see that things can be done. I believe there's an acceptance across all the generations. These methods of communications have their place and can be effective. Kelly, is there more of a focus on generational differences now than in the past? Is there too much focus? You know, Peter, I don't really think that there is an additional focus. I think there may be a spotlight on generational differences right now, because as we talked about, there's another generation entering the workplace. I do believe that sometimes it's convenient for us to say, oh, it's because they're a millennial or there go those baby boomers, instead of it being a personality of the person or based on their individual learning. I do think that we could maybe use some of these generalities about generations to kind of help us understand each other. Or sometimes if I know that I'm going to speak to a certain generation, I might do it in a different fashion because it makes them feel more comfortable. But I don't think that there's too much focus on it either. Alyssa, pundits portray millennials and Generation Z as socially conscious. Now, none of us work for the courts to get fabulously wealthy. But can courts adapt to this desire for more social relevance? I think they can. I think courts can adapt. Some of the things that we do here at Third Circuit Court are relative to our community outreach. And we tend to be out in the community, go out into the community so that we can actually share what it is that we do. For example, there's a, a senior program annually every summer that we have court staff goes out to that event to talk about jury service and what that looks like. We have a community health fair where we have 
all of our divisions send representation because we're a little different here in Wayne County in that Third Circuit is housed in four separate buildings. So it is an opportunity, one, for our staff to work together at that health fair, as well as the community get to know what the di different divisions do in addition to partaking in the services or referring people to services and the providers that are present at the health fair. And we're actually a partner in that. We actually help organize that event. And it's pretty well attended. We oftentimes have about 80 vendors at the community health fair in the summer. So we can do things that are more outreach. There's some conversations going on about staff attending. We, we do a Feed the Homeless participation with the NOAA project here in Michigan. Our specialty court staff goes to that to help feed the homeless. So we can do things socially conscious. Um, we just have to begin to think in that vein. Renee, how important do you think social consciousness is in the workplace, particularly as it applies to courts? Social consciousness, I believe, is becoming more of an important aspect in today's world as it brings in self-awareness and development within our workplace, but it also pertains to our surrounding environments. And this can apply to the courts by having social conscious programs that further educate millennials and other generations to feel like they are giving to a greater cause, giving them a greater sense of belonging and a deeper sense of purpose at work. For example, here at the juvenile court, we want to make every child feel like they have a purpose, that they have the support that they need and that they are heard. And having that purpose for us brings in that sense of fulfillment because we're giving to someone or something. And I like to think that these kids are our future. And the Juvenile Court also offers education on, on raising uh, awareness on domestic violence, along with parenting classes for parents in the midst of dissolutions of marriages and annulments. And we also have this great family drug court program for parents involved in dependency cases where mothers and fathers can feel recognized and supported by their progress. And the more we continue to uh, be involved within these programs, I feel like the more we can feel fulfilled in giving into our community and inspiring others to give back as well. Zanel, do you find that the various generations have differing perspectives on gender? I won't necessarily say it's generational, but I can tell you there's been an evolution of what we've been exposed to regarding gender and the research and the data that's there. So when the traditionalists and silent generation were basically dominating the workforce and baby boomers as well, you had gender being defined binary, male, female. You were born with the sex. You were supposed to be reared with the sex. And those were the image that, images that were presented to you. Those were the images that you saw on TV. Anything that fell outside of those two things was treated as an anomaly and not readily acceptable. Now, as we're coming in with the younger generations, you now see that you may have a born sexual gender, you may have a sexual identity, and it could be very fluid. So there's more acceptance of that conversation. There is more services that are available, more just to, it's becoming the norm, quite, quite frankly. I believe it's like 7% of millennials, like in 2015, were identified as LBGT. And we no longer have these restrictions where boys can't play with dolls, girls can't be astronauts. 
So you you just see it changing. And I don't know if you describe it to one generation moving, but you know that the images and perceptions of what gender looks like as these generations have grown up has definitely changed. Alyssa, are baby boomers staying too long in the workplace? What effect will this have on courts and on younger generations? Well, Peter, I am a baby boomer, and so while studies suggest that we're staying too long, I'm not so sure. There are benefits to baby boomers in the workplace if they've been there an extensive period of time or anyone who's been there for or a lengthy period of time. They can be a valuable source of institutional knowledge. That's important. But where it can hinder things is the, well, we've always done it this way, conversation. So as long as as the institutional knowledge does not become the only way for something or for a process to move forward, I don't think it will hinder as much, but it can certainly be helpful to the younger generations or the individual who hasn't been there for a long time, who's been there for a very short period of time. It can be an advantage to them to understand how something began. Kelly, what do you think? Um, I think there is a huge advantage to having this many generations in the workplace. We're very fortunate. Our chief justice is in his 80s, and our youngest employee is probably 20 years old. So it's 60 years of difference of experience in our in our court system. And worked with the court system here for 12 years, and I think that everybody stays longer in the court system. I think. It's meeting social needs of each generation. It's meeting the challenges that each generation wants. I think there's a portion of the court that can fulfill what every generation is looking for. And I think that I don't see as much job jumping in our court system for millennials. They come in, you know, they're decent paying jobs. Like we said previously, you're not here to make a million dollars, but there's great benefits. And, you know, you're really giving back to your community at the same time. So I think the longer you stay, that's okay, too. Zanel, do courts have to rethink their approach to succession planning, given that we might be dealing with four generations in the workplace? I think it would be wise if they did. Um, Typically, you would have one generation coming in, one generation going out. Now that you have four generations here, And like Kelly was pointing out, you could have someone who's a traditionalist. You could have someone who is a millennial or Gen Z. And how do you translate what that person thinks is institutional and important? So that young person, they may bring the technology to it, but they don't just get so involved in technology, they they lose the principles of justice and things like that. So maybe some cross-mentoring is a way to do that. Maybe thinking about how are you building your future court leaders? Is there a path that they can come on? Is there a pipeline? Is there a bridge that introduces them to the court? I just think there's a number of ways that courts can look at what they're doing today and and think, am I really looking out for court 65 years from now? And having those conversations in the workplace, exposing the various generations to one another so they can have the rich sharing of information. Oftentimes, it can be done in social settings as well as actual work tasks and work teams. So I definitely think that the court should take a look at that. What are we doing and how can we do it differently? 
Have you been able to adapt your leadership plan to fit into the multi-generational workplace? What we're doing right now is trying to put together a strategy that I, uh, that identifies our up-and-coming leaders, those who have shown that they are interested in leadership, also have some skills that indicate, okay, we need to make sure that we're exposing you not just to trainings that help you do your current job better, but prepare you for future leadership. So we're having that conversation now. I wish I could say we had it four or five years ago. We're at the point right now, about two-thirds of our workforce is eligible for retirement. So we're playing some catch-up on it. So other courts are better situated and not looking at two-thirds of of the people who are eligible to retire. Now's the time to definitely put something like that on, on the table and start working on it. So what is the one piece of wisdom that you would give right now to court administrators around the country on how to manage the multi-generational workplace? Zanel? First of all, you have to realize that it's here. It's not something that you can think that we can continue to do business the way that we've always have and still be successful. Courts are out there to build public confidence. Public confidence depends on the people who you have serving the public. So you need to definitely do some type of assessment internally and figure out, okay, so this is what I'm dealing with. What should I be addressing in in this situation? Renee? I believe that we're always going to be in a multi-generational workplace. I don't think it's something that's really going to go away. We're going to have constant young people um, coming into the workforce and people retiring as well. And I believe that's important to build the trust amongst these generations that we will be taken care of and that we are being taught the good. We understand the bad. But the more important thing is that we stay influenced to continue to stay on the right path. And that way we can grow professionally and also get that sense of fulfillment that when people come into the courthouse that they are being taken care of and that the people that are running these shows are being helpful and are knowledgeable on how to assist these clients. Kelly? My advice would be to make sure that you're out there engaging with all generations and really focus less on what their generation norms are and more on what the individual can bring to the table and exactly what they want or need in their jobs. And I think it's important that we're learning from each other. Like I said, you know, we have a wide range of age in our court system, and I think I learned something from each generation every time we all sit down at a table. Alyssa? There are more similarities than differences from one generation to the next. And I think if we treat everyone individually and not as a cohort based upon their age, that'll go a long way. Paying close attention to draw on the individual strengths and being able to adapt your management styles to address that. My thanks to Zanelle, Alyssa, Kelly, and Renee for talking with us today. The topic of managing multiple generations in the workplace continues to draw our attention. These questions will continue to be asked. Zanel, thanks for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you for having me on, Peter. Renee, thanks for chatting with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Alyssa, I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me. I'm glad to join you. Kelly, I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Peter. It's been great. Now, let's answer some listener questions. Judy Lee, Administrative Services Manager at the Pierce County District Court in Tacoma, Washington, 
Email two questions about our October episode on the different generations in the workplace. Here to ask those questions is Judy, and here to respond are two of our guests from that episode, Stacy Werby in Anchorage, Alaska, and Tina Madison in Tucson, Arizona. Judy, what is your question? Thank you, Peter. I appreciate the time that you're taking for me to ask my questions. My first question is, how do you educate the bench and other managers on the risks and benefits of generational differences enough to convince them of the need for changes such as flex time? Tina, what do you think? Judy, that's a great question. And I think historically, we do see a lot of um, boomers thinking that we have to have everybody in the building. But I think it's also because we do still have buildings. We do still have physical locations. And until we actually move away and start doing more online work where we don't have to have the physical presence, you're not going to convince people that you don't need staff here at the courthouse. Part of it is just explaining generational differences and their needs, but trying to tie them into our business model and and how the courts are evolving. And perhaps part of that is changing our business model. Exactly. All the courts are looking at access to justice, and we are trying to find ways to reach remote areas so that people don't have to physically come to that, or even the older generation who might not be able to get places. So the court is looking at different models, but we're not there yet, (laughs) unfortunately. Stacy, what do you think? It is a lot about having still the brick-and-mortar presence. And as we move away from it, we can probably be a lot more successful convincing uh, other generations that flex time is going to work. It, It is going to be worthwhile for the court and for the public. I just heard a speaker say, how how do you give somebody flex time? Say, yeah, you can work remotely or you could do flex time and that's great. And then the next employee comes up, I want to work remotely or I want to do flex time, but their position is the receptionist. So they physically have to be there. How, How do you do that? So I think we have to put all of these things into consideration. Judy, what is your second question? My second question was, I want to ensure we are not giving preference to a specific generation when we focus on our strengths. For instance, in bringing in technology, I'm looking at the individual strengths, but it may appear that I'm focusing on a certain generation. How have you addressed comments that you may be favoring one generation over another? Stacy, what are your thoughts? I think, uh, well, the new technology inherently may appear to favor a younger generation. I think it's really important when you're introducing a new technology or procedure to introduce it with the workflow benefits rather than as maybe accommodation or uh, the light for one particular group or another. So I think if you, I think it's in the selling of the technology or the procedure that you don't sell it as, hey, this is for all those Gen Zers out there, we're, we're trying to make it easier for them to come to work, but rather as this is going to help the workflow. Judy, final comments? That's really good. I hope that a court that implements these changes would um, share that with NACOM, so maybe we can use those as examples in the future. 
think that's a great idea. I think it's going to be really important when a court does share this because we see other companies, um, especially implementing the work from home and the flex time, but it's so difficult to convince everyone that we could really do it and not have to be here, even with going paperless and doing everything online. My thanks to Judy for sending us her questions and to Stacy and Tina for responding. Remember, if you have a question about this or any episode, email us at podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. In most cases, we'll answer your question at the end of a future podcast. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Be sure to catch next month's episode on bail reform. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast series on courts and court administration. Look for new episodes the third Thursday of each month. Today's podcast will be available on our website, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. Be sure to catch next month's episode on bail reform. I'm Pete Kiefer. Thanks for listening.